open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And one of the gifts that Nana brought was uh, this dinosaur Lego collection. That's cool. All right. At least in my mind, it's cool. And uh, I know that uh, Samuel was excited and the girls were excited, but I was excited, too, because I like Legos. And then on top of it, that you have dinosaur Legos to go with it is pretty awesome. And so it wasn't long that after Samuel opened it up that I began to slip down to the floor. You know it. And I started opening the bags of Legos and looking at the box and, and looking at all these grand things that I could build with these Legos. And I did. The neat thing about, I'm getting off subject here, but the, when you have dinosaur Legos, they come with like little trees and little flowers in them. You can plant. I'm, okay, never mind. But it was fun. And you can build things. But I couldn't quite build anything as beautiful as the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal is, is one of the world's most beautiful buildings. It was built in the 1600s by the ruler of India as a memorial to his wife. And there is some uncertainty about who really drew the plans. Some believe it was a a pupil of the greatest Turkish architect of his time. The whole building, get this, the whole building is covered in pure white marble. More than 22,000 workers labored daily for 22 years to complete the huge edifice. They did it from these geometrical designs, and most of the building is covered with verses in the Quran, which are are calligraphed into the marble. It's kind of amazing, amazing uh, building to to look at. But as you look at that, particularly you parents, I want you to kind of look around around you as you're holding your children, because I believe that God has given us. And that God wants us to shape our children into one of the generation's greatest wonders. Believe so? He does. And it's going to take some work. It's not going to happen overnight, as you've already discovered. It's going to take years to do it. It's going to take the memory of not someone else, but but of God, the giver of these children. The the reason that you build into these children's lives is for the glory of God, the one who gives us children and gives us life. It's from this God who gives us the blueprints of how we should go about it, of the kind of foundation that we should lay for raising these children, the kind of fashionings that should be put on these children. It's God who gives us the words that we ought to hopefully implant his word that we implant onto their lives as they see it in our own life. It's God who gives us the resources and the materials and the ability and the empowerments to build into these children's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life. I want you to remember that's around you and with your children that God has put and entrusted in your hands one of the generation's greatest work of art. And he's entrusted it to you and I. As you look into Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe that as we look into this passage this morning, and I don't want to limit it to parents alone because I think the implication is for grandparents too. 
But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe that we find us, the blueprints from God, to model and minister a wholehearted love to God, to our children and grandchildren. This is the blueprints. This, in this passage here, God lays the foundation of what we need, the methods that we need to go about in order to build into our lives the love of God in them. Now look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as we're starting, before we read this, let me just kind of give you the context a little bit. Moses is the one who is speaking here. Moses has come to the end of his life. Uh, he is, the, the Israelites have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, and they're, they're making preparations to enter back into the promised land. Sadly, Moses is not allowed or permitted to go in the promised land himself because of the sin of anger in his life. But he takes these people whom he's traveled and he's been through with much in his life, and he gathers them together, and one more time before the Lord takes them, He's going to reiterate all that the God has entrusted to him, all the commands, all the law that God has entrusted to them. And Moses sits down one more time to impart this truth to the people that he's been guiding and about to go into the promised land. And he writes, he says this in verse one of chapter six. Now, this is the commandments, the statues and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you might do them. Notice that. That's a good thing to underline if you underline your Bible. That you might do them. It's a personal practice. In the land where you are going over to possess it. So that, here's the purpose. And notice this. That you, your son, and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God. That you, your sons, and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God. The, the Lord God, the Yahweh, the covenant keeping God, that they might fear him. As we as I taught last week, the fear of the God is to have to take God seriously. For who he is. Take him serious for his great power and his great goodness. Being reverential, all of him. That you might fear the Lord, your God, to keep all his statues and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. And then get this. And you've got to imagine the scene with me. Here's a guy about to die, a guy who has poured his life into these folks. And you've got to imagine and try to feel the emotion that he has when he's, he's saying these words to these people. And he says this, O oh Israel, O oh Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised in a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, Israel, listen. And may you be careful to do it. You can, you can feel the emotion that Moses was speaking with and he was talking with these people. You can feel the concern that he certainly had as he uttered these words. And I want you to notice that his concern wasn't so much with the enemies that he would face. Those are the enemies that the nation of Israel was about to face as they go in the land. But if you notice, and if you drop down with me to verse 10 of chapter 6, what he is concerned about is what will happen to them as they enter into the land, as they get comfortable in the land. 
as they begin to experience the blessings that God is just going to graciously give them as they settle down in the promised land. Look what he says in verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself. Now follow this. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. What Moses feared was not the enemies that they would face, but what he feared is that when they entered into land, what they would do is that they would forget God, Lord, Jehovah. That they would forget Him and they would turn their back on Him and they would worship other gods. That was His greatest concern and that was His greatest fear. And I want to suggest to you, and I think today, that these concerns ought to be our concerns as mom and dad, as parents. That our greatest concern in our life for our children is not how much wealth they will have. It's not as how happy they will be. Not what jobs they will get or where they will go to school. But ought to be, will they remember our God? Will they follow after our God, the one true God? While we may not have the idols and the false gods that were prevalent there in the promised land that needed to be rooted out, As one writer said, we are faced with many gods all around us. They are the gods of materialism. They are the gods of sensuality and morality, hedonism. They are the gods of fame, celebrity, popularity, and power. They are the gods of intellectualism, humanism, false philosophies, and man-made religions. And they are the gods of me, of self, meism. Those are the gods we should be concerned about that our children not follow after. But they only follow after the one true God. What Moses is doing here, as he has just finished giving the Ten Commandments, is he's laying down a call to parents to take a lead spiritually in their homes. And my question to you today is, will you accept that call as parents and as grandparents? That you will lead spiritually within your homes. Will you accept that call? The reality is, if you were to turn over to Judges, and it's in your your sheet there, if you look in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, you will find that sadly, and we won't turn there and look at it today, but you'll finally, you will find that many of the people of Israel, the children, the descendants of those hearing this message here in Deuteronomy, did turn away from the one true God. But will we accept the call? Some of you might be thinking, Matt, well, you're going pretty Old Testament on me. I want to just share two verses just to get that right out of your mind right now. The first verse is in Matthew chapter 28. 
says this. All authority, and this is Jesus speaking, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to suggest to you, if you don't disciple anyone else in your entire life, I want to suggest to you that the most important discipleship opportunity you will ever, ever have in your life is to disciple your children. That will be the greatest task you ever have. That will be the most important task that you will ever have is to disciple them. This is when objections come up. And let me just get them right here at the beginning of the message. Objection one. Well, isn't it the responsibility of the church to disciple? Here's my answer. If you know Christ is your Savior, aren't you a part of the church? Yes, you are. And your most important role in the church is your children. Here's another objection. Well, aren't the professionals supposed to do the discipling? Answer, not all of it. Matter of fact, if you'll notice, Moses does not leave the responsibility for spiritual developments to the priests, does he? And the religious leaders, does he? Who's he calling out? He's calling out parents. Fathers, mothers, I've got a call for you. As your pastors, we are called to equip you to do the work of the ministry. But you are the ministers, and you are called to minister and to disciple your children. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I'm not sure this is up here, but let me read it to you. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. All right, man, that's. I mean, I mean, fathers had to come along that one before. Okay, thank you. I'm glad somebody raised their hands. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's my second New Testament passage for you. And I want us to make a little note, and this is where I'm going to I'm going to preach a little bit to us dads. Notice it starts leading with fathers, doesn't it? There's a reason for that. Because we're to lead in the home. This is convicting. But it starts with us, dads. It doesn't mean that we do it all. It doesn't mean that our wives aren't more gifted in certain aspects of discipleship. But we are to lead the way. We can make it so much easier on our wives if we lead the way. It says, fathers... Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Well, here comes where another objection comes. This is, but I do not know how. Well, I have an answer for you. Today, I want to show you how we go about it. Later in the message, Grant is going to come up and he's going to show you some things on how we as a church are going to equip you with the particular how-tos, some of the very hands-on how-tos to do this in your children's life. What I want to share for you, though, here in, in Deuteronomy 6 is I want to kind of cast the vision. I want to cast the general method for you. And I want to cast the foundation that needs to be upon you in order to lead your children and to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We find this in verse 4. 
of chapter 6. This is the foundation of what I call the foundation of spiritual parenting. Look what, look what uh, Moses writes. He says, oh, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Listen up, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. Moses say, listen up. I want you to listen to the truth. I want you to hear this truth in your hearts, in your life. Verses 4 and 5 are the great confessional faith of the Jewish people. Even to this day, this, these phrases can be reheard repeatedly, daily, uh, amongst the Jews. They call this the Shema. Shema being Hebrew for to hear. And each day, the, the, the Hebrews would, would get up and, and they would confess this. They would confess that Jehovah was God. That He was completely unique. That He was like no other deities. Like no other deities. Because He was the one true God. He alone is God. He is one unlike the many gods that they would face when they went into the promised land. And then they would confess, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so every day they would be reminded of the reality of God and who He was, and He was like no other God. And then they had to ask themselves, am I loving God? Because I'm commanded to. Am I loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength? Am I doing that? I want to point out just a couple things. This verse here shows us that we should listen and understand to obey the word of God. This spiritual parenting is grounded in a personal understanding and obedience to the word of God. This word here, Shema, denotes more than our English word. It's, it's more than just, you know, I'm, I'm hearing and perceiving sounds. It's, it's more than that. It carries the idea to hear and understand or to hear with discernment. It goes more than just intellectual knowledge, but it goes to taking in the knowledge, understanding it and putting it in my life to where it affects my relationship with God. You see, our goal in hearing God's word is to grow in our personal relationship with him and our confidence in him. And as we grow in that relationship and as we grow in that confidence in God, then it will be rooted and informed in us that we will of the importance it will be for us to share that with our children. Because as we know him, as we understand him, as we trust him, how can we not share that with our kids? There's a second aspect to this word Shema. It's the idea of to hear and obey. And you see this more from the context if you back up in verse 3, you say again where Moses said, Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. And then he says, Hear, O Israel. His idea is that, that you won't just take it in your ear, but that you'll actually live it out. That you'll obey it. And the reality is, parents, if we don't obey the things the Lord commands us, how do we ever expect to raise our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I quote, the loudest message anyone will ever hear is not one heard on Sunday. Luke will forget everything I said this morning. 
But he will remember when his parents lived out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday throughout the months and the years. Our children will remember that. Second principle we find in these verses here is in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm going to command you today shall be on your heart. The goal of spiritual parenting is not to get kids to obey a list of rules. Devoid of relationship. That's what we call legalism. That's not the goal of this. The goal is that the the children will look at us and they will see that the reason that we obey God's word, the reason that we obey his commands is that we love him. That he's precious to us. That we adore him and that we worship him and that we love him and we're seeking to love him more. And that's why we obey. And they learn that we love him because of who he is. That He is the one true God. He is the unique God. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is faithful to His promises. And He's provider for us. And He's trustworthy. And He first loved us. That's why we love Him and we obey Him. And then it says in verse 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. The idea of on your heart is that the, it will be on your mind. It will be, as I quote, in the center of your thoughts, the object of your devotion. That is, every aspect of our lives is, is, is filtered through the fact that God is on our hearts. And we make all our decisions through that. That everything goes through this biblical framework. See, to be passionate about or fervent about God is not merely an emotional experience. It means that there is not an aspect of life that we do not consider the opinion of God in. It's it's the living out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, of which I I, I taught you last week. To trust in the Lord with all thine heart. To lean not to their own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him. That, That the children see that. They see that in our hearts and in everything about us that we're trusting the Lord. You see, it is impossible, and I, I quote Chuck Swindoll on this, it is impossible for me to transfer my child to my child a principle I do not personally embrace. That is, unless a love for God permeates everything he says here, permeates all my heart, how can I translate that to my children? It is impossible, I quote, for me to convince my children the value of honesty, for example, if I am dishonest. It's impossible for me to convey the necessity of clean lips if I habitually practice profanity. It's impossible for children to grasp the importance for care and compassion for others if their parents are running roughshod over others. It's got to be in us. It's got to be upon our hearts first. Parents, let us pursue God with a wholehearted passion. You might say, Matt, what if I'm just not there? I'm just not there, Matt. What do I do? Let me, let me tell you what you do. You confess it. You confess it to God. You agree with God 
that this is a sin and this is not what he has for you. And you repent of it. Repent means it's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And you ask God to change it. You ask God, oh God, give me a love, a deeper love for you. And then pursue him. And you pursue him with all your heart. I ran as I was doing some final preparations for the sermon. I ran across this illustration. I thought it was helpful. It's uh, from an old gospel musician. He tells the story. He says, when my small boy was playing with his buddies in the backyard, I overheard them talking one day. And the conversation was amusing. And one, it was one of those conversations where my dad can beat up your dad kind of conversations. All right. So you ever heard, overheard your children having those conversations? It was one of those. Well, one of the, the children said this. The, one of the children first said, well, my dad knows the mayor of our city. And then another son stepped up. And he goes, well, my dad knows the governor of the state. And then the third son, this was the gospel musician's son, he kind of was, he could, he could tell as the father was watching actually from a distance, he could tell his son was kind of pondering, what do I say? And all of a sudden he just blurted out, he goes, well, my dad knows God. That's like the, that's the trump of all, isn't it? But when he said that, as the father overheard his son, he was humbled in his heart. And he, and he got away on his own. And he began to pray. And he prayed this. He said, and he prayed in a very earnest and grateful tone. He said, oh God, I pray that my boy will always be able to say, my dad knows God. Oh, don't you want that to be the prayer of your life? Don't you want that God will so much be on your heart? That your children walk away and say, my dad knows God. My mom knows God. My grandfather knows God. My grandmother knows God. Oh, may we just allow a passion for God to be on our hearts, folks. And when we do, this will form the foundation for us to be able to teach our children about that God. Look with me to verse 7. It says this, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you talk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I just want to break these three uh, verses down here into three, three action points for us as parents. Three things I want you to take away. And the first is this. Be intentional and consistent in your teaching. Be consistent or be intentional and consistent in your teaching. The phrase you shall teach them actually comes from a Hebrew verb that literally means to sharpen. Now, Grant and I kind of wrestled with this, this, this verb this week. But the idea that we came away with is to sharpen. And, and I, I tried to figure out why, why, do they, why do they use to sharpen here? I got just something more clearly on teaching. And as I did some more research, uh, uh, someone pointed out to me the, the idea is just as this word is actually used of other places to sharp, uh, make things sharp, such as swords and other things. It's that idea here. It's, it's, it's the idea uh, of going over something over and over again. It's like going over and over until the knife or the razor is sharp. 
It even has the idea of what the NIV tries to express. It's, it's the taking the pressure that you're pushing something on over and over again in order to leave a mark, to accomplish something in their life. That's the idea here. And the idea for us is that just like we would take something, we want to sharpen it to make it useful and practical. We want to work with our kids in such a way that where we're working their lives to skillfully and, and incisively to to sharpen their life. We want to teach them. We want to pass something on to them. Is what we're seeking to do. And it's, it's what's interesting about this verb is it's, it's in a stem of the Hebrew verb that it's a command, but also has a great intensity to it. That is, this isn't something that we're to be passive about, but it's something we're to, to step out in order to be intentional about, take hold of the thing and begin sharpening it. Repeatedly, over and over again. And if any of us have learned, you have to repeat a lot of things with children, don't you? Yeah, you do. Over and over again. And they need to hear the truth of God repeated to them over and over again. Let me just get honest with you. I'm a child of God, and guess what I need? Repeating over and over again. Well, where do I do this, Matt? Here's my answer for you. Everywhere. Look look at the text. That is, I I believe that we make life-on-life discipleship our classroom for this teaching and for this sharpening. It says here, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, when I read this, this verse and as I studied it, uh, I, I really took it very literally at first because I thought of the situation Elizabeth and I are in, particularly that part where you teach them when you lie down and you rise up. All right. I have a four year old. He likes to get in my bed. And I'm like, Lord, how literally do I have to teach this? OK, because this brother right now, this little booger every night wants to put his knee right in my spine. Do I have to love him that much? Yes. So right now we're trying to train him. To get out of our beds. And we're trying to sharpen him in that. If any of y'all have tips, let me know. Because my back is sore. The idea here, though, is that notice this. There are, notice the word talk there. Because there are other words in the Hebrew language for proclaiming, for preaching, and for lecturing. The word talk here is the word debar. And it literally means this, to talk. To speak. The, the idea is, is not that we take a pulpit and we set it up in, in our house and say, all right, listen. All right. Let me tell you a few things. It's, it's, it's not it's not the idea. It's not that we have a formal Sunday school class. The idea is we are simply to make life on life interaction, the classroom for our children. That's the idea. It's not that we follow rigid outlines. Elizabeth and I, a couple of years ago, we got this, uh, this, this some kind of manger scene from Family Life. Any of y'all ever got those things? And so we would sit down and had all programmed out. One day you would talk about this, and another day you'd talk about this, and another day you'd talk about this, and the kids could put uh, the little angels and everything in there. All right, well, I'm, and as they're doing this, you're reading the Scripture, and everything's supposed to run real smooth, all right? And guess what? My kids are taking a little angel and they're going like this and hiding around this. And before I know it, as I'm reading God's word, I'm saying, would you put the angel down? 
imagine that's what it's always got to be like? And, and not, I don't want to say that, that there, there shouldn't be times when we have formal gatherings. Those are good. Those are times when we do sit our kids around. We want to try to attempt those things. But a lot of times those don't go like we want them. And, and relieve yourself of guilt like that, all right? They don't go like they want them in my house either, okay? But the main place, and I have found the best places where I teach my children are when I'm playing Legos. I'm just playing Legos. And something comes up maybe in my mind or, or something comes up in their mind or, or some of the best times uh, I, I can have is, is, is coloring. Coloring with your children. Talking about the dinosaurs. Who made the dinosaurs, Dad? Well, I've got a few things to share from you. You can open Genesis chapter 1. You begin to share that with them. Or maybe it's just riding in a car. And they ask some of the oddest questions sometimes. Funny questions. Now, again, this is, this is still to be intentional. It's, it's when you're riding in that car, you're, you're still being intentional. You're, you're looking for the moments to teach them. You're looking for those teachable moments that arise. And sometimes you pray for those. You pray, God, pray, pray for me an opportunity to talk about kindness with my children. And so my children were at the, uh, the store, at one of the stores here in town. And Elizabeth was out with them. And my kids had been struggling with kindness between each other. Okay, and, and lo and behold, they saw a mother who was treating their child in a very unkindly way. Not a way it works in our family. Guess what happened? There was a teachable moment there to teach how would God have us act towards each other? How would God even have us to discipline you as, as, as our children? How would God have us to do that? Or maybe it's a, it's a teachable moment like we just had recently in our life where we're sitting, Elizabeth and I are sitting, and we're talking about finances, and we're writing out a check, and we don't even notice one of our children's in the, in the room, and all of a sudden they go, what's a tithe? Well, let me, let me show you. Well, why do we do that? Well, let me open up the Scripture to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10, where it tells us how we need to give out, out of our wealth first to God. It's those kind of things. It's the kind of things like, Dad, why is policeman pulling you over? <laughs> well, your dad broke the law. Once again. Teachable moments are, are many. And in those moments, what we want to do is we want to bring our relationship with God and our love for God to bear into our children's life. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Just like me, getting pulled over. But you talk about God in the midst of it. We're to walk with them, not just talk to them. We're to walk with them. We're to talk with them as we walk, as we sit, as we lie down. This is very key, folks. This is very key. It's not just about talking, but about walking with them. I want to give you a quote from Josh McDowell. Many of you have probably heard this, but he puts it this way. Rules minus relationships equal rebellion. Rules minus relationships equal rebellion. 
But rules plus relationship equal positive response. And that is so key. If all you give them is rules, you'll turn them in to people who either want to just run from the faith or they'll turn into legalists. What you want to do is you want to share the rules with them. You want to share God's truth with them. But you want to bring to bear relationship, your relationship with them and your relationship with God to them. And then they'll begin to see these rules and these truths are there for my good. Because I have a God who loves me. And I have a mom and dad who love God and who love me. Now look at verse 8, verse 9. This last little thing I want to give you. I put, allow yourself to be a living illustration. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. and shall be frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what's interesting about this is uh, I don't think Moses meant this to be figuratively, but today uh, many observant Jews have come to make it uh, very, I mean, make it literal. I think it's meant to be figurative. I can remember this day when I was traveling back from Israel when I went over to study for a few weeks that once I remember looking back and I saw all these Orthodox Jews in the back and at a certain time, all of a sudden, they, they started bringing out this stuff and they were wrapping around their hands and they were putting this like little black little box thing around their head And that's when I began to understand what this is. Um, They call those things phylacteries. And they they literally, they put and they have scripture in them and they put them on their heads. And they actually, on on their homes, they often put these things called mezuzahs on there. And they have scripture in it. I think the idea that that what what Moses was calling is, I think the idea behind this figure is that, that children ought to see the love of God and obedience. It ought to mark us. Literally, to be on your frontals means to be right between your eyes. As when they look at us, they ought to see the love of God in us, and they ought to see obedience in us. They ought to mark us. They ought to mark our home when they look at us. I love it when I get up in the morning, and my, my wife is beating me out, and I, I wake up, and but I find her in the kitchen over in the corner, and and in her hand, one hand is, is the Bible, and in the other hand, that, that little booger of a boy has slipped up in her arms, and she's reading God's words. He snuggles into her. He, that, I love that because he sees it on her and in our home. I love it when my kids can hear me sing, even though I can't carry a tune, because I want them to see that even though I don't sing well, I have a passion for God, and I want to sing to him and adore him and to worship him anyway. I want my kids to hear me to ask them for forgiveness when I blow it as a dad. And I do. Because through that, they'll learn of the forgiveness and the grace of God in their life. I want them to see it in our lives and in our homes. Some of you are thinking, man, I just can't do this. I try and I try and I try. Let me just give you a clue right now. Maybe the empowerment for spiritual parenting. And I'll I'll make this quick. Parenting is sometimes a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle because we deal with our own personal flesh. And we deal with these other little fleshly kids. And the answer for dealing with our flesh is our new life in Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that if we... Walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desire 
of the flesh. That's the key, folks. You can't raise, you can't lead your children to Christ in your own power. You can't do it. It's the power of the Lord working through us. There's no mistake in Ephesians chapter 5. He says he, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And then in Ephesians 6, he says, Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's no mistake on that. We need that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And parents, my, my exhortation is you that we may impress the love for God on our children by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm going to close with this before Grant comes up and shows you how we as a church plan to equip you to do this better in your lives. It's the story of my dad, and I've, I've told you this story before. But I want to add some things to it. I, and it was a story of this. We used to travel to the beach every year. We used to go down to St. Petersburg, Florida to, to, to vacation. We'd make that long trip down I-75 from Cincinnati uh, to, to Florida. And on one of those occasions, my, my father was uh, walking along the beach. And uh, as he was walking along, he was, because he walked close to the water, he's making imprints in, in the sand. And well, he just so noticed, because he's walking along with my mom, and he looked back, and lo and behold, there's little Matthew, all right? And if you want to know what little Matthew looked like, just look at little Samuel, okay? And I was, I was doing one of these numbers, trying to step in my dad's footprints, just all the way down the beach, just trying to do that. And my dad, when he saw that, I never knew this until much later in my life, he turned to my mother and he said this to her. He said, I better be careful how I walk. Yeah. Dads, we better be. But I want to add to this. Not only should we be careful how we walk, we want to take those little boys behind us and we want to grab them and we want to bring them up there alongside of us so that they can take those steps. And we, that means we kind of make our steps a little bit smaller at times. And we want to bring them along and walk and step with us as you and I walk and step with the Holy Spirit. And we want to share life with them. That so someday, when it comes to that point, and it comes, when we begin to release them, that they will go out and begin to make their own steps and step with the Holy Spirit in preparation for the day when they're going to have a little Matthew or little Samuel walking behind them. And they have to repeat it. Oh, may we, moms and dads, grandparents, may we be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to impress a wholehearted love for God on our children and our grandchildren. Now, Grant's going to come and he's going to close us in prayer. But he's going to show us some things.